Good evening, everyone. And it's a pleasure having you on board with me as the, our COO, Tom Marchesella, who's going to have quite the presentation. So we're going to get on with it because lots to go through. Water's new gold now. So many of you have sent me articles about the, uh, the trading and the water futures, and we'll be discussing this at length. But basically what's happening is that, that water is turning into a traded market. And this is super exciting with futures and so on. And of course, at our level with the decentralized water treatment, it too is a market that we're growing. So December 10th, briefing number 90. And of course, um, as we always do, we, we warn you that we are doing our very best to tell you what's going to happen, but we are not prophets. Or we, we believe these things will happen. And of course, they're not blessed by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So I have a couple of really cool clips here shot by my brother, Stephen, the man with too many cameras. My name is Ken Barringer and I'm VP of Business Development at Origin Clear. The water market, the way I saw it as an outsider, was kind of everybody bumping into each other, all trying to sell what they do to the handful of folks that had tons of financing on hand and were ready to pull the trigger. But that's not the market. 80% of water isn't treated. So let them fight over the 20%. That's cool. Let's work with the 80% that's untreated because that's the real vital need there. So why aren't they treating water? There's a financial pain point. What if you remove the financial pain point? COVID took some of the smartest entrepreneurs in the country and physically forced them out of business. Now, these guys are not out of business because they don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to do service. The government said, you can't operate. Well, they didn't stop being smart. They maybe had to have closed their restaurant or their coffee shop or their laundromat, but they still have what it takes to run a successful business. So what we're going to do is we're going to provide them everything they need to service 11 million pools. Each pool has about 20,000 gallons. These things have been just getting drained, you know, dumped away. Now here in beautiful Western Pennsylvania, it rains every 14 minutes. So maybe it's okay here, but in Arizona, in the Sun Belt, in Southern California, not a good idea. And in places like Florida, you drain your pool, it floats away. The financial need for this is the reason they do it. But the pleasant consequence is it has a tremendous environmental impact. The environmental fact of saving and reducing or recycling all that water, it's, it's a huge impact for the environment, um, especially here in the desert where there's always a constant drought. A hundred of these pool preservers will be able to prevent the dumping of, or in, in fact save, a hundred million liters a month. Look at it like this. A hundred pool preservers will be able to save a billion liters of water a year. There's a very tantalizing sneak peek for sure. You know, what's happening next? Well, we've been building the Waters of Career training. I think we're calling it the Waterpreneur University. There's various uh, schools of thought inside the company. But what's been happening, and I, I want to do a full report on this probably next week, and we'll bring on our VP Marketing, Alan Wallace, to report on it. But what we've been doing is building a whole lineup of videos and also going into the uh, market with Ryan, the guy you saw on, on screen there, and building marketing programs using Facebook and, and physical stuff like door tags and so forth. All that's been packaged. 
So I'm going to play you a little uh, the training video just for fun to show you the kind of uh, material that's been produced here. It's a whole series, but this is just one of them. I'll give you a quick sneak peek here. Somebody gives me a call. They want to know about the process. I explain the advantages. You know, here's, here's the advantages of doing it. I don't know the cost difference because I don't know what that person is going to have to incur cost-wise to drain the pool themselves, hire somebody to drain. I don't know what their water costs are from the city or for wherever the municipality um, company, the water company, whatever it is. So I don't know what their costs are that, but I do what I, I do know what I'm going to charge them. Once I do a site visit with the client, when I go there, I measure the pool, get the size of the pool. I test their water, make sure it meets the parameters that I want to work with. At that point, I can give them an exact quote. And if they want to proceed, then I'll go over the logistical side of it, where we're going to park. Here's where the hoses are going to go. Here's what you can expect. Here's about how long I'll be there. Don't get in the pool. Some companies advertise you can swim when we're doing that. It's no, I do not want you to swim. I want the water as calm as possible because that's how the process works. The heavy contaminated water sinks to the bottom of the pool. Purified water stays on top, it stratifies. So we're constantly pulling the worst water in the pool. So the water is not sanitary. So that's just enough to tease you guys. Now, I got another huge, huge announcement here. So we've got our first MOU signed. And so let me give you some um, feeling for what's going on here. As you know, last week I told you about good faith discussions in progress for the fund development. So update of 10 December, we got our first MOU in hand and I am gonna show it to you now. Again, we've got two prospects for 1 million each. One has the first MOU in hand, the other one we are in discussions, he's traveling. So, so I, had, I didn't actually write that down here, but that's going on there. And then the $12 million one is active discussions right now, those are going well. And the $6 million one is not active at this time. So depending how you cut it, it's maybe 14 million, it's maybe, who knows, but it's a nice range of prospects. Now the $6 million one, we believe would follow the 12, he's, he's kind of not a leader, a follower, so that's kind of the status there. And remember that even though we believe it's to be it's a valid program, there are no guarantees. Now, let me show you that MOU, which is kind of fun. So this was signed on the 7th, and uh, in fact, I'll put it in full screen. It'll be even easier to see. So what we have here is the MOUs that we are assigning. We basically say that we're going to build this internal fund to finance these water equipment rental programs. I've shown you the spreadsheets. I'll go through them again. What we'll do is we'll offer a special direct investment, which is a minimum of $1 million with various dividends, et cetera, as, as you know, but the additional twist of 25% of net profits from the financing of water equipment systems by the fund. So that's really interesting to these investors. Also, bolded here, investors shall have a security interest in all equipment rented or provided as a service. So that means that um, the investor has a quite a degree of protection in this. So I'm not gonna go through all the details here, but basically that is, oh, and the cool one here, D, in the event OCLN is listed on national exchange, offer investor the right to ring the bell at the time of listing. This is something that is super cool. Everybody's up there, high up above the, the trading floor, ring a ring a ring a ring, and you know, it's super fun. Now, again, we're not telling you we're going to go on the NASDAQ very, very soon, but we believe this is a key step. 
So um, blah, 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 all the usual boilerplate, uh, but you know, essentially going to work together to make this happen. And it essentially was signed on the 7th. So that's really, really fun. And I'm not gonna name the investor, but we, he's probably listening to us right now and I greatly appreciate it. So thank you for that. So the next topic is what about the economy? So basically the feedback I got from the briefing last, when you, at the end of the Zoom uh, briefing, there's a survey and we read your, your answers. So please do, do tell us what you think. So here's some of the things you brought up. The uh, concerns were basically, you know, having to do with, first of all, the current economy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you what's going on with the current economy. Uh, dollarcollapse.com has some great set of charts here. So let's take a look at these things because they're, they're pretty intense. All right, inflation is back big time. Now, people believe that inflation is dangerously low. That is becoming harder and harder to defend. Look at iron ore. It's gone in five years, less than five years, from about you know, $40 to 130. Copper, this is this year. Look at that. You know, 2.2 to 3.4 of whatever. I don't know what these units are. I'm not that much up on it. But, and this is again, 2020. Look at nickel, look at aluminum, right? These things are just taking off. Zinc. Now, these charts are for industrial commodities that, while not something individual consumers tend to buy, so they're not in the cost of living, quote unquote, of course, people build things with them. So eventually the prices of cars, et cetera, go up. Speaking of buildings, U.S. home prices are up and they're growing. In fact, you have a little, this thing here, look at the little tweak right here at the end in the, in the current latest period. So that tells us that in fact, we are above previous numbers. In fact, the, the, zero, edge art, art, the, zero, sorry, the zero hedge article that, that discussed this has a better chart. They've done a better job of charting these things, but they based this on that dollar collapse article. There we go. S&P Case-Shiller U.S. Home Price Index. Whoa, look at that. Home prices are now higher than they were during the previous decade's housing bubble, and they're accelerating, which is crazy. So that is a really, really interesting um, indicator. Here is a shocking one. The trade-weighted U.S. dollar index. It basically says the, do the dollar, which was in March at, you know, almost 100 and 101, something like that, dollars, 101, it's an index. So 100 would be um, whatever the baseline is. We are crashing. So this is not a good sign because look how we were from 2018 up, we were, we were moving up. We were in a nice uptrend starting in February. Things started crashing, as you know, came back and but then, you know, I think confidence has been lost. So this says, this tells us a heck of a lot. So I'm going to come back here. So all these, you know, when you start seeing commodities take off and you start seeing home prices take off and the, um, excuse me, the US dollar uh, falling as a trade indicator, you've got a problem. And in fact, we have a very, very good writer. He or she, I'm not sure who, because they, they don't, they're not, you're not identified in these things. I believe we're entering a time of dollar devaluation. Absolutely. That may also result in high to hyperinflation. Personally, I think hyperinflation is a few years off, perhaps 2025, but it's something to really think about. 
several disruptive technologies may, may affect job growth and result in recoveries without new job additions. IIoT, which is industrial internet of things, those are all the machines that automate industry, and also the internet of things, which is home appliances and so forth. Skynet, which is the, this, this writer's term for, you know, that was from the Terminator, you know, Skynet came, became aware. We have an aware, an aware network for sure. Robotics, machine intelligence, and advanced intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence will become normal. I also see the growth of blockchain and cashless monetary societies getting steam. China is already essentially cashless. Euro is heading that way. And finally, he says, globally, I'm not sure yet how the new trade alliance between China and Asia countries will affect the US economy. China made its own separate deal with other Asian countries. Okay, so I think this is very accurate. Combination of dollar value. Believe me, you think a lot of money has been put out in 2020 to save the economy? Wait for 2021. It's going to be amazing. So the dollars can be handed out, you know, like popsicles. And... Uh, it's going to affect the things that have real value, hard goods, real estate, you know, anything that goes into manufacturing commodities, of course, right? So somebody's chatting to me. And uh, Daryl Polston says, interesting book by Martin Ford, Rise of the Robots, The Threat of a Jobless Future. Very interesting. Very well said. Yes. So there, is, there are jobs in the future with all these technologies, but you have to be technology trained. We not only do we have a broken education system, we just spent the entire year not training our kids. So we've seen 400%, 600% drops, tests on math and so forth. It's been really radical. So when you have an untrained society, you have a lot of joblessness. Okay, I'm not going to belabor this, but you see what's going on here. Tom will cover these. These are questions, ensuring the ability for USA organizations to design, plan, build, test, manufacture, and deliver products to approved worldwide countries. So those are really trade concerns, but also do we have good US organizations? Another person said, sees opportunity in this market, great. But another one here, lack of local resources to fund infrastructure. I think that's a very important one. And finally, the incoming administration. With that, I'm going to uh, turn over the podium to Tom. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. Now, it's interesting, Riggs. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, where's water fit in the uh, grand scheme of things as far as like the economy and, you know, what trends we've been watching. And that obviously has a lot to do with how we position our business, you know, along the curve. So it's it's good to see we're always on top of it. And like, I like the moves that we've been making as a company. I like how you repositioned us, you know, bringing in guys like Ivan and the team you know, for uh, water entrepreneurship and philanthropy investors been really cool because you guys have been looking ahead. And then ironically, it's like every single week, it just feels like another piece of news comes out that just keeps validating all the stuff that you've been doing for the last decade and especially the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, very interesting time. This is a fast moving time. So you got some macro trends for us. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we talk about, you know, what trends are going because we obviously want to position along the curve, make sure our business is positioned properly. And, and one of the ones that's like the biggest macro trend we keep tapping into is we keep tapping into the concept that water becomes a commodity. But one of the most important bullet points about that is, do you realize that over the last 10 years that the price of water rates has risen over 80% nationwide? Yes. Yes. And it's, it's not regulated either. That's a very important point. Completely unregulated. So, you know, when you look at the rates of water all over the place, you start talking about the difference between water for residential versus agricultural water versus wastewater processed water. And in, in that one way, like the water you're buying in your house so you can drink it, 
or the water you're using for your industries or your commercial enterprises are paying one rate, which typically maybe comes down to, you know, they're paying a couple pennies per gallon, you know, kind of a kind of like fractional pennies per gallon, technically, when you really get down to it. You know, mm-hmm. I think I calculated it. Uh, two tenths of a penny is probably what you're paying for a gallon of water at your house, right? Versus, if you start treating that water, what does it cost to have treated water? Which is really where we're at, right? Right. And how expensive really could that be? And the truth is, sometimes it could be as much as twice as expensive for the treated water, or sometimes ten times as expensive for the treated water. So when you bring that up, the point is a lot of these. Uh, infrastructure you know projects around the country on governmental dollars have fallen behind because the actual cost of treating the water became so exorbitant and they couldn't make the infrastructure work at those centralized locations anymore and you can just easily see that in how far behind we fell infrastructure wise and so when we talk about trends we've been playing on this big macro trend you know obviously taking place with you know the the need for infrastructure and the fact that they've been behind and we're putting in on-site stuff. And at the same time, you have political change, you know, that always puts pressure on us, right? And now we're always trying to say, well, are these two things going to match up? Are we going to have somebody who's in our favor or are you going to have something that falls out of favor? You know, and so I think, you know, we're heading into an interesting time right now, just in this political transition, right? Whether Trump stays or Biden comes in, either way, you have seen a lot of talk about bringing new infrastructure in as one of the main planks to drive growth in America and boost our own economy and drive American, you know, excellence. So I think that's an interesting trend that's going to happen. You know, if Biden comes in, we see that concept of that Green New Deal that they've been talking about merging with this concept of the infrastructure rebuild projects. And you've already seen them starting to talk about it just in the last couple of weeks since the election, which I think is interesting. And that plays into the other issues of people talking about why certain neighborhoods get hit much more hard than others. And they typically try to address that by saying the economics aren't fair. Certain, uh, you know, states or certain cities are falling behind because they were economically disadvantaged. That's not exactly accurate. What you're really seeing there is the difference between old cities and old infrastructure that was maybe put in a long time ago versus new cities and new suburban areas that were coming online newer where the infrastructure was put in place that was more in line with the more modern technologies that should be deployed. And what you're now seeing is those old places and old towns where maybe they have things like septics, they're rotting in the ground. And people are moving to those locations. Yeah, but they are not allowed to keep that same dirty old septic system now. So if you're going to go do that rebuild and that redevelopment in those cities, you're going to have to put in some new infrastructure. Let, let's catch that slide. Uh, we've got a slide coming up on that. So you, we, were, we were obviously talking about the, uh, the, the presidential transition, how might it affect it. And last week I showed you know, a slide that was talking, the uh, TechCrunch article that was talking about how the, you know, there is very high on the list to quote unquote build back better and not you know, um, to, to, be, to be completely apolitical in a previous coverage, I showed what the uh, Trump administration has got going as well. So what are your comments about uh, your feelings about that? Well, you know, Trump had for a long time talked about an infrastructure bill. I was actually disappointed he didn't do it because he should have. Biden actually talks about really pushing the envelope towards infrastructure plans and the Build Back Better concept. So I think sometime in the next four years, 
you're going to see this thing happen. It's a yeah. no brainer. It becomes very similar to have like when the troops came back from World War II and they build a lot of roadways and bridges and infrastructure type projects. That's the kind of thing you could really use to boost the economy. And it drives a lot of boost. COVID-19. Oh, man. I'm still disappointed that we've had to deal with this thing for so insanely long. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, we did learn a lot, right? Obviously, like I, I was thinking about what were the lessons learned here, obviously, you know, aside from personal lessons of like being satisfied and staying close to your family, which was good stuff. I think our industry, however, learned a lot. And one of the things that we did learn was our industry was really good at is an early detection system. Yes. They were like the sniffing dogs of COVID, you know, through the sewer systems. And they found that there was, there was obviously a connection between, you know, people's waste and the virus, you know, being within it in a live status. And they said they were, they have uh, new monitoring systems actually really going into place now because of it. So true. So on the infrastructure bill, like you said, it'll likely be, be, be touched. Now, how does it relate to us? Well, I think actually this is really good because we have noticed many times, as a matter of fact, I was on an engineering call yesterday and today with more than a dozen uh, different engineering firms. And in those plans, they all are calling for new infrastructure. One area where they're failing, for example, is a simple lift station. Many cities have them. The lift stations are old, 30, 40 years old. They're corroding. They're made from concrete or whatever. And the truth was they, they kept pushing it down the road, pushing it down the road, pushing it down the road. And they have to do it now. They have to do it. And well, they're so losing they're, so much water. They're losing a ton of water. The water is getting more expensive. They're having all sorts of uh, EPA problems because of the fact that they're not doing the work. So now they're at the point of the breaking point. You're actually breaking. You're breaking, you're flooding your streets, you're breaking, you're, you're letting, you know, septic, you know, live out into communities. They just had one uh, the other day where they, basically they were having a big contamination uh, down in Miami again, as a matter of fact. Speaking you know, of contamination, septics. Yes. Right? Uh, now, this is an interesting thing. So take states in the southern states like Carolina, Georgia, you know, Kentucky, all these different places where you had some older communities. But in those areas, which were fairly rural for a long time, you'd have septic. You'd have a lot of septic up in Pennsylvania, as a matter of fact, Ohio. Now you're getting to the point where you're not allowed to do these things anymore. You cannot build a new house with septic in. Here's the, the FHA requirement. In fact, look, yeah. you have to have such a huge lot. I mean, huge. these 100 feet, 100 feet, uh, you start looking at something that's going to require like, I don't know, half an acre at right. least. So that you can't build div subdivisions with septic, it's just not going to work. So here's the interesting thing. So Dan, Dan Early and I spent some time trying to figure this issue out because we know that there's the difference between I have a septic, I'm supposed to connect to city sewer systems and municipal, and there's a time gap. So what happens, what you're watching happen now is you're watching an interim step coming into the market of on-site water treatment systems for these localized solutions. So what they're suggesting happen is you take the old septic, you upgrade it using an on-site treat environment, and you use it for a certain period of time to bridge you into the point at which you can finally connect into a more standardized municipal system. And, and here's the, problem, here's the one we built in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. So this is becoming very common now. So we're, we're seeing as there's an entire industry of supply chain, which we connect to, which is a little downstream from us because it's more on the commercial side, but it's at these nice footprints and good price points 
where there's a bunch of pump and haul guys out there and septic providers and well drillers who all need these products to go into the ground at all these residential and commercial locations. Why do you say OTS is the next new old thing? Because it's not like it hasn't been out there. Like on-site, uh, you know, septic and water treats been, you know, kind of the original, right? You dug a right. well in your backyard, you drilled down a bunch of hundreds of feet and you pulled some water out, right? There was your first on-site water, you know, that everybody used to have before you basically connected yourself in. But now you're dealing with now I got to do water supply and I got to do wastewater treat all in my location. But I'm going to use all this modern technology, which is all industrialized, stamped out using our modular concepts, but safe because we're using, you know, the heavy plastics and the non-corrosive materials. Lego block, like you say. Lots of Lego blocks. Yeah, because I, I really think about it. It's like, and the Lego block concept extends beyond just like our version of let's do Lego blocks for what we're doing. What you've been watching, and I, I watch a lot of TV, you know, shows on like, you know, house building and industry. And what you're noticed is this move towards, you know, kind of the, uh, the Model T Ford assembly line of construction. So you're having construction of modular concepts. You can buy an entire bathroom completely modularized pick it up on a trailer and install it in your house. You can do an entire kitchen completely built at a factory and install it in your house. You can get a small, small home or a small addition to your home and snap it onto the back of your house. Now there's all these crazy cool concepts that are all modular now in their design and build. So architects and engineers have really caught onto this. It's a really cool commoditized way of doing really cool stuff fast. So is that really what Dan is pushing in, in the webinars that he's got and so forth is this concept? Well, Dan's really pushed it into a whole different area because Dan's so much more sophisticated than, than that stuff. It's just more of like there's a trend that's been taking place that people are catching on to. So mm -hmm. as we're talking about things that Dan's done for over a decade now of bringing the modular water treatment concepts forward and these on-site treatments, he's meeting a world where the consumer market and the building markets now also has their concepts of modular. And so people are looking at you going, oh, I get that. I understand right. that now. We, he's been preaching in the wilderness for so long and now it's yeah. kicking. And now he's got something that people are like, oh, I get it. It totally makes sense. You're smart. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. We're totally smart. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great to be right in the end. But here is the big, big trend. Oh, my God. It's so big. So big. So I love the water futures market. I mean, I cannot. I, I'm like so ecstatic because I'm like, my gosh, this is a decade, two decade kind of like big monster, ah, big thing. You know, because, you know, I used to work with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. That was one of my right. career moves from years back. And I was involved in some different uh, commodities markets and futures markets and so forth. And, you know, one of the things I love was there's always discussion around bringing water into the commodities market. And now they, it's taken a while. They've had a couple of failed attempts at it. But this one's a real one where they're really bringing it in. And when you're talking about a, the commodities trading market, in Chicago, you're talking about a quadrillion dollars worth of money that's flying around the markets there. This is this is big stuff, folks. Big, big, big stuff. Fantastic. Oh. And in so fact, California uh, we futures. have here the yep. the specifications of this of of the of the actual futures contract, yep. and it's essentially a um, an acre foot, and uh, everything is done by the acre foot. Now, an acre foot so is get, basically yep. one acre of water, one foot deep. And depending on the environment, on, on the location, 
it's basically two to four homes per year is one acre foot kind of usage. And yeah, so give, give them an idea of that. So if you're an acre foot, because it's like, what's an acre foot? So there's a dollar per acre foot is the way they do this calculation, right? So for us, it's 325,851 gallons. <laughs> there you go. There you wow. go. <laughs> there's number. And, and this is the price. <laughs> right. <laughs> so $490 will get you 325,000 gallons of water for agriculture. Now, this is interesting because there are people in um, California, for example, still paying $25 an acre foot from old, old contracts. And meanwhile, you've got the city of San Diego paying as much as $1,500 with the uh, desalination plant down there. And somewhere in the middle here is this futures market. It's, I mean, it's trading. It's not trading a lot, but it's trading. And this is very meaningful. It's very meaningful because for us, you know, one of the things that we've always talked about for years is like, how do you price water? Because pricing water was very arbitrary versus this will give you at least a baseline that we can all look to and we can understand together collectively. Because obviously now they've, they've scaled what they're talking about, California water used for agriculture in this volume, right? But now I have metrics. I have the amount of water, acre foot. I have location. I have a situation. I understand what they're using the water for. So use case, right? And I understand the condition of that water. I know what agriculture water is because we we treat that kind of thing as well. So now if you want to understand, you know, $480 worth of agricultural water versus when I want to now take water and make it drinking water, or I want to take water and clean it to make it reusable water or, you know, recycled water. At least I understand where that comes into when I want to pay extra money to make it drinkable, potable versus dealing with black water. And this gives us a nice middle yeah. ground to, to point back to. And also, I think it socializes the idea that we've had all year about you know building a marketplace for the actual water treatment systems, water equipment market, tying it into this water uh, water itself. So right. I think it I think it builds acceptance for the idea. I, I think it's very bullish. I agree with you there. I think it's super cool. I, like it's just like oh, this is cool. I can track this just like mortgage rates or just like any other you know commodity concept. You know, it gives me a financial baseline to really attach. And then, and really, I mean, when you really you throw it out there because I'm going to go there. It gives a real value to the work we're doing every day. So when I'm talking about like I'm putting together a 50,000 gallon per day system that's going to treat water, I understand why that's so valuable. Why does that help somebody so much, you know? Yeah. So with that, I think I'm going to uh, move on. And, um, you know, I think that you've really pointed to some great trends. So thank you. You're and um I wanted to um, keep you around because guess what? Once again, who's moving to Florida? Who's coming? Have, who's coming? It's not Elon have, Musk. He went to uh, Texas. Goldman. All right. Woohoo. Goldman <laughs> decides to go. And of course, it's it's not just, it says in the bottom here, how many others are interested in this. There's all kinds of, you know, Elliott Management Corp, Blackstone, Citadel. There's just a lot going on here with this, this Florida move. And it's really... I have to say, you know, we think New York is in a hell of a bad spot, but certainly it's good for Florida. So um, I'm not going to get into um, further on that because the next piece of news is, of course, that we're back at the LD Micro event. Now, LD Micro for years and years and years has been held in Los Angeles at the Lux Hotel. The Lux Hotel, of course, is not open. And so it's LD Micro was purchased by SRAX, a public company 
that um, does um, shareholder uh, tracking and so forth. And so we'll be presenting at the 13th annual main event. We presented, as I said, uh, at the Lux years ago, and it was very good. This is going to be a much larger event because it will have unlimited attendance. The SRAX people get to literally uh, 2 million people in their database. The these are the shareholders of the companies that they track. And we'll be reporting on breakthroughs. So to register, just go to ve.mysequire.com. And it's going to be fun reporting on this on the 14th, 10.30 a.m., uh, 10.40. Yeah, 10.40 a.m. EST on the 14th. So be there or be square. All right, moving on here. I've got a nice little uh, report. This is a very good video by Ken that's been updated. I've played it before, but this is an updated version. Hi, Ken Berenger from Origin Clear. You know, we think the biggest wealth creation event in the past 25 years has been unlocked. And we think it's going to unfold very similarly to the telecom boom of 20 years ago. Here's what I mean. Okay, so if you could recreate the telecom boom from 20 years ago today, which company would you buy? Which one would have been the best? The great answer is really didn't matter. Any one of those companies that were involved at the dawn of that innovation really did phenomenally well and now are part of a $2 trillion telecom market. Now, of course, we know today that everybody who invested early killed it. But in the beginning, the first two years were very rough for investors, right? Perfect example, AMT. In 2000, you bought, you were down big by 2002. And then, of course, a hundredfold rise in the next 15 or so years. Again, Crown Castle, an almost identical situation. And oddly enough, the turnaround happened almost to the day as it did with AMT. And rounding out the top three is SBA communication. Yep, the chart is almost identical. So what can we learn from this? So if you really knew in your gut that cellular telecom was the future, you just didn't have the benefit of timing the market. How do you avoid selling into the weakness too soon and avoiding the 100-fold increase you would have seen? We think the attitude of getting paid to wait for the big thing to happen really solves the problem. Most of the early pioneer cellular telecom investors, if they were getting paid to wait, probably would not have sold too soon. We think the investment structure getting paid double-digit yields to wait could make all the difference in the world. So changing everything takes time. Fortunately, Einstein said that compound interest and time are the most powerful forces in the universe. We offer a 10% corporate bond that compounds annually. Your principal will double in seven years. Now, if you want to redeem it earlier than that, you can at any time at 200% in stock. That's priced at the time of conversion, but you'll also get up to 400% warrant coverage, which you'll exercise only after you're already in the money. Here's what our structure would have looked like for an early telecom investors. As you can see, the first seven years, early equity investors made no money. With our structure, they would have already been up 100% on their money in the first seven years. They could then convert into 400% of their original investment. Instead of seeing a hundredfold return, had they had this structure, it would have been a 400-fold return. We finally built the ability for investors to own these micro utilities everywhere. Recession, no problem. Inflation, no problem. You want to depreciate it? We can do that too. But you're not banking on real estate and you're not banking on the oil commodities market. Now, we're going to own these at first. We're going to build a fund. We'll launch it. We'll figure out what we need to know. We'll have this great income generator, which is great for the investors. And then when we're ready, we'll launch a worldwide marketplace. So the launch of the marketplace was created to solve water company problems that we were experiencing. We think everyone will join. Why? Long-term service contract income from water companies, dramatic increases 
in margins, and the ability to simply build and place systems anywhere they're needed with no selling necessary. And the reason it's easier for water companies is there's no more selling. You're simply supplying a need. Everything is turned into a very manageable operational expense. They can start with short-term rentals. They can finance it later. We can handle it all. The really exciting part long-term is that these assets will be available to simply pay the meter by the gallon or the ton, very much the way you pay for electric service now. So let's look at the next couple of years and where you come in. So step one, invest in a brand new kind of water company. Have all of the unlimited potential this presents, but get paid the entire time. Step two, launch the fund. We've got numerous investors standing by who really want an alternative to commercial real estate next year. We'll split the very generous yields with them, but we'll keep the asset with the hopes of utilizing that to help us uplist the company to NASDAQ. So step three, a little bit longer term, is launch that Airbnb for water. Just connect water companies, investors, and kind of perform more of a managed services model, which becomes just a cash cow that Wall Street absolutely loves. So what we build in the end here is a worldwide micro-utility asset class. Metered billing means that the more water that is treated in the world, the more money is made. That's the first time that's ever happened. We also think that that could make us really attractive to ESG funds in the future. So this is why we think we can do to water what cell towers did to telecom. We can change everything, and we'd love for you to join us. Would you book a call with me? And of course, I have to mention our safe harbor statement, which is here. And once again, the disclosures for this specific offering. So now you see why we're so excited. So if you're an accredited investor and really want to drill down and talk to me directly about how you can get involved in this, call me 1-800-445-7427 or just set up a Zoom call on my calendar, oc.gold forward slash Ken. Now, if you want to join us on our CEO briefing, we hold them every Thursday night oc.gold forward slash CEO. We hope to hear from you soon. This is the get paid to wait offering. And the reason why it's important to bring this up today is we were talking about hyperinflation. We're talking about the rise of various asset classes. And now you've got to get way ahead of it. How do you get way ahead of it? We well, got to try and get the hundred times growth, right, Tom? And um, yes, sorry, <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so because look, that, that's the problem is how can you stay ahead of inflation and even hyperinflation is by getting paid enough to overcome what is going to be, it's not going to go 200% inflation immediately, but you, you need to plan to have some big hits, get paid along the way for the big hits eventually. This, we won't go into it, but uh, by the way, the, the cashless warrant is now one year, which is very, very good. And that's been um, revised. And contact us again, oc.go/ken is the fastest way to get there. What we're really going to do next week is we're going to uh, dive into the Waters of Career model. Tom, I'd like you to uh, work with Alan to organize something. We're going to show off all, you know, the University Academy, whatever we're calling it as it's being packaged up, uh, as it's being based on actual you know, successes. And that's gonna be very, very helpful. Well, it's been a long briefing, but I do wanna take a look at, let's take a look. Wow, there's, <laughs> there's been some interesting chats. I'm gonna try and, uh, so um, Daryl Poston, uh, Parker County, Texas, will not allow developers to have lots less than five acres if they're on, on well water. 
So with that, I want to thank you all for your, your patience. We've had a lot of people stick around and I appreciate your patience. Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on board. Next week, we're going to have a very exciting look at how we're building the, the, uh, the career builder systems. And I hope to have more updates on how things are going with uh, building the fund and so forth. It's really happening at lightning speed. We're getting ready for the, um, the holidays, but we're going flat out here to finish the year. And hopefully we'll also have some updates about our business. So thank you all. It's been wonderful. Enjoy your weekend and see you next week. Bye.